The talk this evening is Awareness is Love. We have this word that sometimes creates a lot of confusion for us. It's called happiness. This is something that we think that we all want. But in fact, I'm not sure that many of us are clear what it is. It often evokes quite a lot of images and ideas about what it really means to be happy. But yet, I think that our ideas sometimes get in the way of really finding out what it means to be happy. It's true that all beings want to be happy. There is no being that wants to suffer. And it seems that in some ways this is really a goal for many of us, is to discover this deep happiness that it said is possible for all of us to achieve, for all of us to have. But what is it? What does it really mean to be happy or to know this happiness? We get confused because this, the, ideas of, the idea of what it means to be happy is fed to us in so many ways by our Western culture from the time that we were born and the time we grow up, we get, we get so many ideas and so many images pushed on us about what happiness is. And it certainly gets over-exaggerated by our media. All the messages that we receive about this happiness I have uh, friends who like to send me advertisements from the newspapers or magazines that sort of exemplify these messages that we get, that we're so overpowered by, and oftentimes even unconsciously, just these, these signals, these stim the stimulus that comes in, come into our brain day after day after day. And this one is... Um, I'm not even sure whether I got it here or whether I got it in England, but it's probably the same all over. <laughs> um, this is for, um, oh, it is English. It's for um, some blissful bath soda, uh, bath, bath oil, and some massage oil, and some body wash. And the name of it is Kayushu. And it really shows how meditation and Eastern philosophy is really coming into the mainstream, because I think the, the media is starting to capitalize on it. And what this, this is, has these beautiful naked women <laughs> sort of floating through space. And it says, for thousands of years, the philosophies of the East have taught us to treat the mind and body as one. Now there's Kayushu. I'll just, there's this, I don't know if you see this beautiful, little, slender <laughs> woman prancing across the page, and it says, it is said that the practice of shiatsu can increase the flow of energy through the mind and body. Well, I think they're trying to increase the flow of energy some other way, but through these, through, through these images. And then, and then it says, showering with Kayushu has much the same effect. <laughs> In the philosophy of Kayushu, we attain enlightenment 
with awaken. Yellow, optimistic, the color of the rising sun. Awaken is the name of the body wash. (laughs) Fresh, invigorating, stimulating for your mind, your body, and your soul. This is the pathway. This is the true pathway to to awakening, to enlightenment. How they're picking up these concepts because it's touching something. It touches something that we're all longing for, that we all want to be touched by. We get bombarded with this. And certainly these ideas are conditioned by our parents and our friends. I mean, certainly my mother always said that the way that I was going to be happy was to find a really good husband who was rich and have lots of babies, and um, that would certainly make me happy. And it was the message that I was conditioned by. There wasn't any um, suggestion that there might be any other way that would make me happy. And so through these images, through these these, uh, messages that we have that bombard us, we we somehow try to become. We try to become something that we're not. We package our identities and our images. We try to shape our bodies and our minds to fit our ideas of how we think we should be. And it's a way that we're deeply conditioned in this culture. And somehow we need to overcome this. We need to see how this operates in our minds and somehow release ourselves from it. We can see in some ways how this tendency may operate even here at the retreat, how this tendency gets shifted on to something like our meditation practice. Because it's likely that many of you have come here with ideas about meditation and about what we're doing here and what we're trying to achieve here. Perhaps what kind of meditation experiences you think that you're supposed to have that will bring you closer to happiness. You know, whether it's having a clear mind or blissful sensations in the body, no thoughts, an open, loving heart, a spacious mind, no pain in the body, you know, whatever it is, trying to get these what's called obstacles out of the way so that we can achieve some kind of state that we then will say, well, this is it, or this is happiness. Now I've got it. Now I've got there. These these kinds of ideas that we bring with us that that are, are really the obstacles that we have to look at and understand because these are what are going to interfere with really truly finding out what's at the bottom of this, what is truly happiness, what is true contentment for us. There's this one memory I have for myself when I first started coming to meditation practice many years ago, I could see how I transferred these ideas onto my spiritual journey of what I should become, how I should be. 
And the image um, that, that I have in my mind was this picture that I saw of this wonderful woman saint, Ananda Mayama. And she lived at the beginning of, of this century, well, I think the last century and into this century. And when she was in her young teens, she was very beautiful. And she was uh, considered enlightened, a saint. And they took many, many photographs of her. And there's this one particular photograph, which was the one that got me, where she's sitting in a white sari with long black hair with a very large red bindi on her forehead, just looking in the most sweet, divine way. And when I saw that picture, I said, well, that's it. That's what I have to be. That's what I have to become. That's, that's what you look like when you get enlightened. <laughs> And so, of course, all of the way, when I did look at myself in the mirror, or I did see the way that I was behaving at times, that wasn't it. That surely wasn't it, because it wasn't like Ananda Ma. And it's the way that I held that until I started to understand how it was an image, an image that was actually becoming an obstacle for me to find something that was true within my own being. Something, something deep within my own being. In a way, it's like dressing up in party clothes, becoming something that we're not. Dressing up in these clothes that don't fit, that really aren't ours. And it's coming from ideas that we carry from the past. Ideas from the past. It's like a burden or a whole baggage, a load from the past, bringing that into the present and saying, somehow, this has to manifest here and now. It's not immediate. It's not about the here and now. It's about the past. Happiness is not about appearing in any special way. It's not about acting in any special way. It's not about adopting somebody else's ideas. It's not about having any special experiences or even any special feelings. We often think that the happiness, we can evaluate the happiness we feel by the feelings that are flowing in our body. But that's not it either. That's not what the Buddha was pointing to. But happiness is really about allowing something to flower within us. Allowing something to grow from within, not imposing something from the outside. This flowering from within is what I call awakening the heart. Somehow those words, awakening the heart, seem to speak to me. That something touching, something growing, something, something revealing itself from within, from within my own being. It's not the mind. It's not coming from the mind. It's not something I'm carrying from the past. But something very fresh. Something very immediate. If I try to become something other than I am, it's a movement away from myself. It's a movement away from my own heart. And this is how we split off. It's the way we fragment from ourselves 
because in a way we lose contact, we lose touch with ourselves. And we feel the pain of that split. We feel the pain of that separation. We feel the dissatisfaction of that fragmentation. One way that we can see that very immediately, this this way that we split off from ourselves, is something that occurs so often here on retreat, and it's when the comparing mind arises. Just that movement when, when we see somebody else here on the retreat who, again, fits our ideal. You know, this person really matches all the pictures we have about what it means to be the perfect, happy meditator. You know, whether that person's sitting for 45 minutes without moving, or um, walks around with a smile on their face, or uh, you see them doing very slow walking meditation, whatever it is, you know, somehow the thought comes, I don't even know why I'm doing this practice. You know, I can't even stay with my breath for a minute. My body hurts all the time. I have to keep moving. Um, My mind is wandering everywhere. And that person, they probably don't even have a thought arising in their mind. Their mind is probably so quiet. And this whole dialogue arises, and we may not be aware, we may not see that that's where we're moving away. That's the place that we're splitting off from our own heart. But yet we don't see it. These kinds of things just go on so unconsciously sometimes. The comparing mind, how insidious it is for us. And yet it reinforces that feeling of fragmentation in ourselves. This is from Emerson. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time for them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. But people postpone or drift into memory. They do not live in the present, but with reverted eye lament the past or heedless of the riches that surround them, stand on tiptoe to foresee the future. They cannot be happy and strong until they, too, live with nature in the present, above time. Merging, coming back, coming back to ourselves. Meditation is about coming back to ourselves healing that fragmentation, healing that split, and really facing the truth of what's there within ourselves. And facing the truth of what we see to the point that we can fall in love with it, that we actually fall in love with it, that we're not feeling, we're we're not having to be angry at what we see, or in conflict with what we see, or needing it to go away, or feeling the aversion towards it. But we actually fall in love with it. How radical that we can actually do that. And the reason we fall in love with what we see when we face the truth is because we're no longer afraid of what we see. We're no longer afraid as we keep facing the truth there. 
And what is love but the absence of fear when we're really no longer afraid to face it? So the key really is the turning around, turning around and looking back to see who we are. Who we are in this moment, not who I was 10 minutes ago or who I'm going to be in five years, which is how the mind moves. We move back into the past and forward into the future. And we miss, who am I now? What is going on now, in this moment? This turning back on ourselves is a movement of love. And it's a movement away from fear. It's one moment when we're not afraid to see, really. It's a moment when we're not afraid to feel. One moment when we're not afraid to face the truth. We really let ourselves go into the experience in the moment fully, fully mindfully with the presence of mind. This is honesty. When we really look at ourselves in an honest way, it's radical honesty. And it's this honesty which allows us to come out of fear and delusion and to wake up to the truth, to come back into our wholeness. And it is this love, this love of coming back, which breaks through the barriers of our holding. This is from Rumi. He has these really poignant four-line poems that to me really speak to me. If I'd known how savage love is, I'd have blocked the door of love's house, beaten a drum, shouted, keep away. But I'm in the house, helpless. In the house. We may feel helpless, but we're in the house. <laughs> we're not running away. What allows for this journey of clear seeing, this turning inward towards ourselves, is awareness, is this incredible jewel of awareness. The awareness is the light of our being because it allows us to see. <coughs> awareness itself is impartial. It embraces everything that it sees unconditionally. It is pure, like a clean, bright mirror. It doesn't reject what it doesn't like, and it doesn't cling to what it likes. It's allowing. Therefore, awareness is love. It embraces all that it sees. Pure awareness allows whatever is there to show itself, whether it's joy or anger, excitement or sadness, pleasure or pain, ease or fear, whatever it is, awareness can embrace that without the belief in the solidity of these mind states. It just embraces it as it is for what it is. 
But generally, our awareness is not pure. This is the problem. Our awareness is generally tainted with greed or hate or ignorance. And these are the forces of mind that we become identified with, and they color our reality. They become filters over our reality, and they keep us from seeing so clearly. We want the pleasant qualities, and we cling to them. We reject what's difficult, and sometimes we hate it or we fear it. And we ignore the truth at times, and we go to sleep. It's very difficult to allow the changing experience within ourselves without identifying, without believing it is revealing the truth of our being. We become quite certain that these movements of mind, these these shifts in our body, are who we are. We become so convinced, so identified, so fearful, so much in conflict and struggling with them very hard to just drop into the pure awareness and allow these changes to come and go without all the struggle that arises with them. We try to manipulate and control our experience to try to match our ideals and our images of how we think we should be or how what experience we think we should be having. We get in these terrible conflicts, terrible struggles, rather than just being able to allow the coming and going, coming and going, resting back into that place of awareness, of stillness, of ease within ourselves. And we feel the pain of this struggle. We feel the confusion. We feel the exhaustion. It's very tiring. (laughs) We get very tired by this drama that we get involved in. And often we see the futility. We see that it actually doesn't work. We're not actually getting anywhere in our struggles, but just more pain. So we come to the spiritual teachings and we try to find a way to be free of these entanglements, free of this confusion. And occasionally we find examples of people who have found their way. We find the teachings of people who have found their way. There's this one 14th century Indian woman mystic. Perhaps some of you have read some of her, her poems. Her name is Laudid or Lala. It's called Lala. And um, just briefly about Lala, she was married at... Uh, 12 years old, and after a bad marriage, she left to become a follower of uh, the Shiva worship tradition, devoted to Shiva. And after her uh, realization into the divine, she started to wander naked, singing and dancing her passionate mystical experiences. She was just in love. And this is from Lala. On the way to God, the difficulties feel like being ground by a millstone, like night coming at noon, like lightning through the clouds. But don't worry, 
What must come, comes. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. Those words really touch me. Face everything with love. What does it really mean? What does it really mean for us? If we could do that, say, yeah, great. Well, then what does it really mean to do that? I'd like to take each of those four words, face everything with love. The first word, face, I think this is an instruction to us. Face means turn towards it, not away from it, not to hide, not to ignore, not to go to sleep. This is an indication of the awake mind, a mind that can be awake in the face of what's going on. Face it, turn towards it, discover the truth. This is the first step that we must take. And it is really good grace that somebody begins to take this step because we can see so many people who either don't want to take this step or it never occurred to them and they live their life in delusion and deception. So we must turn and face. Face everything. I love that. Face everything. <laughs> whether we like it, whether we don't like it, whether it feels good, whether it doesn't feel good. Face everything with love. With love. Love is the absence of fear, that which embraces what we see with what's happening, that unconditional allowing of all things. I think love is a key piece when we speak of awareness or mindfulness, because it's not just being aware, it's not just being mindful, but it's being mindful with a tenderness, being able to be mindful with a compassionate attitude towards what we see. Sometimes we can just look and see, but there can still be kind of a hardness or a rigidness, a coldness that we feel, and maybe not even much understanding or insight. But the softness becomes, starts, to be, starts to happen as we, we soften into that with tenderness, with kindness towards what we see. Such a key piece on the journey as we turn towards what's happening for us. As we turn towards our experience, we start to see what's happening, and we may see that we still run away, that it's hard to stay with what's going on for us, that we still run away, that we still escape, we still indulge in fantasies, we still worry, but we see it all of a sudden we start to see the strategies, we start to see what we do, and not to undermine the power of the seeing, even if we still find ourselves caught up in all of these difficult or unhealthy or destructive strategies, we are seeing it. It's a very powerful and important step. And sometimes people think that just by seeing it, it should go away. Well, I see it, but it doesn't go away. 
how come the seeing doesn't just cut through it? I must not be doing something right. But the seeing it doesn't necessarily cut through the patterns as soon as we see it. It's not something that just happens in an instant. Just because we are feeling angry and then we see that anger, it doesn't mean it's just going to dissolve. But it means that we have more capacity to be with that anger without judging it, without bringing more aversion to it, without being afraid of it, without building a story about it. We're able to hold that, that tendency, that pattern within ourselves. Or if we see ourselves caught in some kind of unhealthy <coughs> desire or some kind of addiction, and we see it, and we see ourselves doing it again and again, reaching for that cigarette or going for that chocolate cake or calling a person on the phone that we know we shouldn't call another time. We see ourselves doing it. We still are doing it. But we have more compassion or capacity not to get angry at ourselves for what we see in ourselves. The more we can face the pattern without anger, without criticism, without blame, without fear, and embrace the pattern out of tenderness and love, this begins to weaken the pattern. It weakens the pattern. It starts to lose the strength. It starts to lose the grip it has in consciousness. And this is really the key. This is the key to not keep reinforcing the patterns we see with more aversion, with more greed, with more ignorance, because we're just reinforcing those patterns in the mind. We're so strengthening and solidifying more anger, more fear, more greed. So as soon as we begin to, we begin to bring some shift of our attitude, of our relationship to what's happening, the pattern weakens. And the patterns that we're concerned with are the patterns of anger, of, of greed, and of ignorance. Those are the ones, those are the forces in the mind that are causing so much havoc. So these are the ones that we need to examine. For example, if we're feeling sleepy, and it's really quite remarkable how many times people will talk about being so angry that they're feeling sleepy. You know, on the first couple of days of the retreat, there's, there can be so much agitation and, 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 uh, and anger and, and criticism towards oneself just for feeling sleepy. And what about the possibility of just seeing it as sleepiness? It's just a rhythm, a mood, a passing, uh, a passing mood in the mind of sleepiness or dullness. Can we apply some skillful means, bringing some vitality to that, without being angry or judgmental towards what's happening within our own mind and body? And we see again and again what happens around pain, when we have painful sensations in the body. How condemning people can be of those painful sensations. You know, having a, a pain in the neck or the back or a pain in the knee, and getting so angry, possibly because it becomes some kind of obstacle to be able to watch the breath. No. But it's just a, a pain in the knee. 
And so to be able to somehow embrace those sensations with more tenderness, with more kindness, so that we're not reinforcing more anger, hate in the mind. Something starts to release. We start to feel more ease. We start to feel more space within ourselves. Just to see it with clear awareness, without embellishing, without building it up, making it much bigger than it actually is. We see this. We build these stories in our mind, make something quite solid, quite substantial. And to see it without indulging, without wallowing, without saying, well, this is what it means about me. I must be this kind of person. I must be this and that. We get so caught up in this. And to see without ignoring, without hiding, without suppressing, pretending that it's not there. Oh, I don't actually feel any anger. I don't, I don't, I don't feel any sadness. You know, however it is that we want to pretend that these things aren't actually going on. Seeing without indulging, seeing without ignoring, but being able to be right there with it, developing a skill to notice right in the moment when some experience is arising that we find is difficult, and being able to relax, relax the aversion, relax the clinging, relax the tendency to run away, Every moment that we're able to see clearly what's happening in our experience weakens the identification with our stories. It weakens this holding on to a self-view. This is who I am. We get so convinced. (laughs) This is who I am, and this is who I was, and this is who I'm going to be, and we get so identified with these views of ourself. So we're trying to penetrate that view to see if we can discover something else that may be more true, that may be closer to the truth. And as we relax that holding, as we relax that view, we actually, in a moment, can feel that relaxation. We feel the space in our mind. We feel that ease that arises when we let go. Just in that moment of letting go. In time, we develop trust that we can face the truth of our experience. We're not so afraid. We start to penetrate that fear, so that fear doesn't have so much of a grip on our consciousness. We can understand more completely what it means to be with our experience without indulging, without repressing, and to feel the energy, to feel the life that's moving through us, to allow ourselves to be touched by this life, by this energy, and to trust it to trust this life that's moving through us in all of its manifestations. 
And as we begin to trust and as we begin to feel more fully and more holy all that's moving through, this begins to allow us to feel our humanness, really feel being a human, (laughs) what it means to be a human on this earth. This is what we are. We are human beings. And we start to feel more fully this truth. When we're not personalizing every behavior, which is what we seem to do, when we're not personalizing every behavior, something starts to shift within us. What I think has shifted for me, or something, the way that I name what I feel is shifting, is called a silent forgiveness. The silent forgiveness that seems to arise in a moment, rather than condemning or judging or criticizing what I see or needing it to be different or wanting it to be different, like a moment of silent forgiveness, maybe for the way I mistreated myself in the past or way that I've judged or blamed or shamed myself, or maybe the way I've mistreated another. You know, when that arises in the mind, just some kind of silent forgiveness a release, a release of holding on to that. Or if I see myself in the present acting in some kind of foolish way or some kind of unskillful way, maybe getting angry at somebody or putting somebody down or feeling arrogant about something that I did that was wonderful, I don't have to make more of it than it actually is. It just is what it is. And it's so much easier just to let go. It's okay. It's okay. I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to be harsh with myself. It's okay. I just feel into the difficulty of that experience. Feel into the humanness, the humanity of that experience. With forgiveness, it seems there's a recognition a recognition that the tendencies in our mind and our being are strong. These tendencies are strong. And there is also the wisdom that knows that if I don't reinforce the pattern with more anger and more fear, it begins to lose its power. And this wisdom gets stronger. This wisdom of knowing that the anger and the fear are not necessary. They're not helpful. This wisdom gets strong, and it helps us to let go, to release these tendencies that bring us so much pain. For me, it took me a long time to recognize my humanness. This was just something that I encountered It seemed that I lived for a very long time in this kind of ideal bubble of myself, of who I wanted to be and who I thought others should be. And when I wasn't like that or others weren't like that, I was continually confronted with this ideal bubble of ideals that I was living in. And I was often confused and hurt and disappointed, and I didn't know why. I really thought that I had to change or other people had to change. 
But through the practice of working with judgments, really paying attention to how those, that anger, that version, that judgment arise in my mind, through seeing the emptiness of these thoughts, that they're not me, but rather thoughts that arise spontaneously um, out of my control in my own mind, seeing the emptiness of these thoughts, working with loving-kindness, working with forgiveness, these difficult mind states began to lose their grip. They didn't go away, but it's not as painful. It's a way that I can allow the humanness be simply who I am. It seems that when we allow the humanness in ourselves, we allow it in others. There's this direct relationship of allowing, of forgiving, of letting be. And when we forgive ourselves and others, when we're not condemning and not blaming or trying to make things different, it really allows us to love again. It allows us to love again. We come back to our own heart. Forgiveness arises from an open heart it melts the barriers around our heart. And when the heart opens, the I that was so bound up in the story and had this contracted and narrow view of itself, it starts to expand. It gets lighter, more spacious, more at ease. We come back to ourselves in love. I want to read one of my favorite poems that I think I've read here before, but it's called Love After Love by Derek Walcott. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's, at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Feast on your own life. When we allow ourselves to love ourselves, and from there that movement of loving others, it is this love which allows us to open our eyes to the world around us. Because we're not so bound in fear we're not so bound up in the fear. And as we feel our own humanity and we know our own pain and we know our own joys, we can recognize this in others and we can be sensitive to others. We're not living in an isolated bubble. And as we feel this connection, we feel enlivened by it. 
and the barriers which seem so solid give way to a feeling of oneness and connection. And this is where true happiness is found. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings deepen into love. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.